Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Welcome everyone. I'm Vicki Vasilika, Director of the Clinical Specialist and Scientist section here at ASHP. And thanks for tuning in for this COVID-19 special edition episode. As we all know, COVID-19 has presented many clinical, operational, and educational challenges in the past year. With that in mind, ASHP is sharing insights and lessons learned presented by your peers from the 2020 Mid-Year Clinical Meeting so that you can incorporate these best practices into your own as we all do our part in caring for our patients. I'd like to give you a little bit of a background about our institution. We were established in 1823. We are a flagship hospital for a 13 hospital system within the state of Maryland. We have about 141 licensed beds and we are located in downtown Baltimore, Maryland. We have over 29,000 annual admissions with over 56,000 ER visits a year. Our pharmacy department consists of 260 individuals with seven inpatient satellites where we process over 2 million orders annually. During COVID, we faced many challenges. Um, I'd like to focus on our inventory management and pharmacy operations challenges that were presented as COVID-19 evolved. In terms of inventory management, our decrease in patient admissions resulted in accumulation of inventory. Our decrease in operative services as our hospital limited elective surgeries also involved accumulation of inventory. Disruption in 503B vendor supply chains where they couldn't supply us with drugs that we relied on them to do. We created artificial shortages within our department where we had to shift operations to compound these patient specific. And then COVID-19 itself shifted demand in critical care needs of these patients who are critically ill, and we saw a different rise in clinical needs as well as protocols. The impact of pharmacy operations that COVID had were as schools closed down, we had childcare needs, which created absenteeism within our staff and our department. Social distancing guidelines, we were forced to do scheduling restructuring in order to create social distancing, create more space in the pharmacies for people to work. And then COVID-19 quarantine, as there were reports of exposure and to protect our staff, people were put on quarantine for at least 14 days, which created obviously absenteeism within our department. And then the clinical impact, as mentioned before, with the shifting demands, we saw an emergence of different protocols that were not there previously. So in order to support this change, we already had established practices in place within our organization. So we already had IV in-house robotic compounding. We already had an inventory batch management analysis strategy, and then we had a systematic prescribing trends review. So in terms of our IV in-house robotics, we at the time made 16 protocols which is about 2,200 doses weekly. And then we have extended BUD for these protocols based on either third-party studies or direct studies done through our partnership with a certified lab. Our inventory batch analysis 
is something that we've been doing as part of the IV in-house robotic processing, where we looked at historical data and utilization. And then we don't have necessarily traditional PARs. What we have is a demand-based practice. So as usage goes down, we decrease our production. As usage goes up, we increase our production on a weekly basis. And then systematic prescribing trends review is something that we look at regularly to see, are there any protocols based on our health medical record that goes up or increase in demand where we can potentially propose it for batch processing. So as COVID-19 hit, we were able to quickly adjust. We gathered a team of which included our assistant director of pharmacy operations for support, our shock trauma pharmacy manager, as well as our sterile compounding pharmacy manager, myself. And then the analysis products implementation and outcome is something that I would like to share with you in detail. So the analysis. Um, so as COVID-19 approached, I reviewed our current production and what we were making to make sure that all the compounds that we were producing were still necessary and needed. One of the compounds that came to light was neostigmine and we that was assessed for removal. So the background, a little bit of a background on this is that the original expected usage was 700 syringes a month. As you see there, we were resulted in 243 syringes. So quite a bit of a difference between expectation and reality. We did have a practice change where we moved away from neostigmine and more towards Sigamodex as an organization. And then our automated dispensing cabinet restocks indicating waste as we reviewed the data, quite a bit of going into the cabinets, sitting, and then being discarded and not being used much. And then also based on electronic medical record, the prescribing has decreased for this product as well. So as we reviewed further proposed batches for compounding, so proposed compounds for that process, um, our source of data was our electronic medical record as well as our electronic compounding record. So we do a lot of compounding through our medical record where we keep track of all of our lots and NDCs and then obviously who's compounding and checking the products. So in order for compound to be batched, it must meet the following criteria. One, does it have standardized dosing? So we do not batch any compounds that have variability based on patient. Does this compound have significant utilization? So is it worth for us to make it or is it a one-off that's made once every couple of weeks? And then availability of extended stability references. So we do not make compounds for extended use, even um, per USP 797 if it does not have data to support that sort of dating. And then compounding involved more than a single vial drug transfer. This is more for robot consideration. We try to limit the number of vials that are used to make any single bag or syringe in the robots because it significantly decreases production time. And then obviously, if this product is a control substance, through our automated dispensing cabinets, our inventory of control substances becomes very complicated when they're not premixed. So we like to batch as much of our control substances as possible or purchase from a 503B vendor. So 
here I will review with you um, the compounds that were proposed for batching. Um, and a lot of this didn't necessarily have historical data, but more of um, immediate assessment of the needs as it was, you know, COVID-19 was very acute. So we saw a high usage in azithromycin. We saw high utilization of cefepime 6 grams. And that is primarily because our institution and our infection prevention team deemed that we can infuse cefepime for six, cefepime 6 for over 24 hours in order to decrease the number of entrances and exits any nursing staff and providers had to go into patient rooms. Epinephrine 8, we saw an increase as we saw an increase in acuity of COVID-19 patients. We also saw a bigger utilization of furosemide 20, I'm sorry, 200. And then for hydromorphone 20 milligrams, we actually were faced with a drug shortage created by our 503B vendor where we were not getting any more products and we were forced to look at patient-specific dispenses. We also have pentoprazole 80, again, more used in our critical care population. And then we experienced a cystatricurium shortage, which resulted in us having to make rocuronium bag drips for our patients since we could not get our preferred product. So as you can see, from March to May, March 16 to May 17, we made a total of 8,500 doses of these products alone. And then April to May, 11,000 doses. So proposed batches for compounding, again, this is going back to one of the criterias is to see how much do we use, what does our utilization look like, as well as references available for beyond use date extension. Everything was dated within USP guidelines, or we would test it through chapter USP 71 if we were made it on our robots. So as you can see here, Azithromycin, cefepime, epinephrine, furosemide, hydromorphone, pentoprazole, and rocuronium. These would account for 600 doses weekly. And here on the right, we have available BUD references before they were truncated based on um, USP guidelines. We also had to consider operational implications. Um, just because you can implement something, that doesn't mean you have the staff or the capacity to make these drugs. So what we assessed um, based on average production of how long it would take to make a compound with a daily part of estimated part, which we would adjust on demand going forward based on historical and most recent trends, we estimated that we needed about total manual production for 60 doses daily, about four and a half hours, which would be nine and a half percent of production overall for a pharmacy and then total IV robot hours to make 330 doses would be about 8.5 percent of production and here the compounding method you can see which ones were chosen to be made by the robot which were epinephrine and hydromorphone because we had extended stability studies and we would be sending those out for sterility testing and then you can see that we assigned 45 days for epinephrine and 90 days for hydromorphone. And the rest of the compounds were going to be made manually. Um, and they were assigned dating based on availability of 
um, stability data as well as USP 797. So this is perpetual analysis and dynamic inventory review for our robot inventory. This is something I wanted to show you. Hopefully that would make sense in terms of how we analyzed our data and how we approached decreasing or increasing inventory based on demand. So here we have in Central where we keep most of our products that is called usable inventory. So it's inventory that has passed quality checks and has passed sterility analysis. Here we have quantities to be released each week. And obviously, if you look a little bit closer, you can see that we go up and down in our demand of inventory, just because, again, we're responding to need versus a traditional PAR. And then we have estimated weeks on hand, where basically it's very difficult to assess in number quantities, how much is too much? How much is, is it a lot to have 100 bags of one product and then have, you know, a thousand of another. So it's very difficult um, to assess every single thing on your list when the demand is very different for these protocols. So what I've come up with is we have more of estimated weeks on hand and we have those in. So 2.1 is a little over two weeks on hand as an example. Um, and so these numbers are basically weighted out, um, we're hoping to always achieve about a total between quarantine and usable inventory about three weeks on hand, just to account for any failures in sterility, any issues or increase in demand of product utilization. And then obviously this is an automated inventory sheet, so you can put in your numbers to be made the following week and you can predict where the demand meets and you can see the sample numbers there. So as we decided um, going forward, so in April, we removed neostigmine from production and cleared out some robot space um, as we were no longer making this drug. And then in May, we implemented the manual processing of azithromycin, cefepime, furosemide, pentoprazole, and rocuronium. And then towards the end of May, um, we implemented the epinephrine and hydromorphone products on our robotic system and our outcome. So the manually batched compounds data from June to July, we have azithromycin, which we have pretty steady numbers for. And then we had experienced a decrease from our initial anticipated batch for the cefepime 6 grams. Um, and again, this is due to fluctuating numbers of COVID-19 patients within our organization and the demand for this drug. Um, we saw pretty steady numbers for furosemide 200 as well as pentoprazole. And then we saw a dramatic drop in our rocuronium bag production um, because this, this atricurium shortage was resolved and we didn't have to do that, thankfully, anymore. In terms of our robotic compounded protocols, um, again, we hit a few unexpected trends um, as we saw that epinephrine, um, it was as expected. We made quite a number um, in July, between June and July, and then we saw a dramatic drop in July in hydromorphone production. And this is because our 503B vendor actually ended up shipping all of their back ordered shortages 
um, as soon as our product was available, unfortunately, for use out of quarantine. Um, and they, yeah, they flooded our inventory. So we had to stop production of this drug. But that's a good thing that we could do that. Then that way we're not experiencing accumulation and we're not propagating waste. And then in general outcomes for IV protocol production for our other in-house IV robot protocols, um, we saw that the rocuronium drug actually within itself was experiencing a vial shortage on top of obviously the cisatricurium shortage. So we really had to be very smart regarding managing our inventory. And as you can see, rocuronium tends to be our highest producer as we make around 900 syringes a week. And then you can see the dip there in May and June um, as we experienced vial shortage. And we were actually able to go back to one of our vendors and outsource this product. And, you know, the frontline people were not the wiser. Um, they actually never experienced the shortage because we were able to stay ahead of it. And then, um, as you can see in July, our shortage stabilized and we were able to ramp up our production right off the bat. And the line there represents an average usage which is a rolling average that we keep track of, which is based on a yearly utilization. And as you can see, for every protocol, we were pretty consistently below that average line in production. So we really kind of dipped down in what we needed to make out of our regular processes. And so the outcomes overall for manual compounds as mentioned before, we ended up compounding azithromycin, cefepime, furosemide, pentoprazole, and rocuronium. Um, and then that accounted for an average of 11% of all of our in-house production. And this allowed us to actually shift our hours from eight-hour workdays to 10-hour workdays. That way, we didn't have as much staff and satellites, and we had more coverage. So we were able to take that 11% and translate it into actually staffing goals that we were trying to meet. And then some of the compounding factors that we faced with manual compounding and doing this kind of assessment was obviously practice changes, shifts in population and what your patients needed during that time, just because it's so acute and no one really knows what's coming. And then product waste due to short BUD. So obviously some of these drugs were only good for 24 hours. And as you can imagine, as practice changed and patient acuity dipped or our COVID patient 19 population decreased, we just ended up wasting a little bit of those drugs, but we could also see that and adjust for it quite quickly. And then the outcomes of IV robot compounding. Um, so we compounded epinephrine 8 milligrams and hydromorphone 20 milligrams. And then as we were expected, we were going to account for about 8.5% of all patient-specific production. In June, we accounted for 11% of that, um, so we surpassed our expectations. And as I mentioned before, in July, our 503B vendor ended up sending us all of our back-ordered hydromorphone, which was the bigger producer, and we ended up dipping down to way below expectation of 1.2% of production. But that's not something necessarily we could have controlled, but we definitely could adjust for and in general, our cost avoidance, because of the dynamic inventory processes that we have for assessment, we 
as I mentioned before, if you can think back to the graph where you saw that our average was still below the yearly rolling average of production, we saw cost savings of um, over $37,000 in April, $45,000 in May. Um, we dipped down in June as we began to pick up and go back to normal production and then was about $4,500. And then in July, it was about $8,600. So as you can see, huge cost avoidance for inventory processes just for not making drugs, for them not to sit on the shelf and expire. And you can do the same thing with 503B vendors. If you know if you keep getting products that no one's using, you know you would have spent that much in cost for just to throw products out. Obviously, some of the confounding factors was the 503B vendor and then the patient acuity, again, as we saw with the other protocols. And as we look ahead, obviously, we were, you know, some of these protocols we used regardless of COVID-19, and we wanted to see if there were any opportunities for us to continue batching this. So azithromycin, we decided to keep because we saw pretty steady utilization, even as COVID resolved, somewhat resolved within our organization. Cefepime 6 grams we removed because we didn't see the need for 24 hours infusions as, again, patient acuity dipped for COVID-19. Furosemide, we kept as well. Again, the same lines as azithromycin. We kept our pentoprazole and we removed rocuronium as we the cystetricurium shortage resolved. We definitely, that was not our preferred agent. In terms of IV robot compounding, we removed epinephrine and we said if there's another need or surge that comes up, we can easily re-implement this. But for now, we reverted back to patient-specific compounding because our waste exceeded our utilization of this drug as acuity decreased. And then hydromorphone 20 milligrams, we actually ended up keeping and we ended up breaking contract with our vendor for this particular drug. Um, and it's worked out a little better for us overall. And so the key takeaway points, I think it's important for organizations to develop dynamic inventory review strategies where you can adjust quickly to whatever may be thrown your way. We're all in a business of healthcare. We never know what's coming. IV robot compounding can definitely serve as a potential buffer for pharmacy departments from 503B vendor product shortages, as we've seen even in this example during a critical time where you know we were really kind of left struggling without any support and we had to make all the drugs that we relied on, you know, imagine absorbing 300 doses a week, but the robot compounding was able to shield us and our staff from that kind of taxing task, especially in a light of short staffed individuals. And then establishing institution-based historical utilization algorithms can help you predict inventory needs and you can adjust inventory dynamically and sort of potentially move away from the traditional concept of PARs that are good for a baseline of historical usage, but maybe not so much in as we're all asked to cut costs and meet demands of new organizational financial goals. It can definitely help you get ahead of the game. Thank you so much for listening and joining us today for this special edition podcast on COVID-19. Be sure to follow us at ASHP Official wherever you listen to your podcasts and be sure to check out our COVID-19 Resource Center at ashp.org 
backslash COVID-19 for the most up-to-date developments on COVID-19. Take care and thank you for all you do. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.